Did I remember to mention to you that Christmas is my favorite time of the year? Oh my goodness. I feel like I wish every day could be Christmas. You know, I'm I'm always happy. I'm like a kid, like in a candy store when it's Christmas. And my daughter is always like, Mom, you lo- I love Christmas. I go all out, the Christmas tradition and whatever you my Christmas tree is always like early out there. I'm cleaning up and getting my ornaments ready to go. It's one of the favorite things that I love to do. So, and we're talking about Christmas, right? For some people, Christmas would not be the same, right? For most of us, yes, because of the pandemic, we might not be able to gather with our loved ones, but also because of the financial strain that, you know, many Canadians, British Columbians have had to go through this year, loss of income, you know, shutting down of small businesses all around in places. And, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a whole lot of dark news. And of course, then the BC recovery benefit came. Well, it's like a light, right? At the end of the tunnel, let's have something for Christmas. And then it's not as easy as it, it was you know, purported to be, people are having to scale through those different hurdles before being able to apply for the benefits. And I, I just, just a quick background to this next guest we're going to speaking with is the fact that I've been following a thread on Twitter about people who are having it difficult, who are having a hard time to apply for the BC recovery benefits. They have been asked to submit documents and document upon documents within a time frame that some of them think is not visible, it's not achievable. So I will be coming out, well, Cassidy is coming on. She is a British Columbian who has been asked to submit more documents as a proof of being here in British Columbia. And then we'll be talking about how this is, you know, as we're getting closer to Christmas, how this is impacting her preparation for Christmas. Hi, Cassidy. Hi, Jimmy. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Thanks so much for agreeing to share your story right here on the Jill Bennett Show. Thank you so much for having me. How are you feeling right now? Let's start from there. Um, you know, we're just we're getting ready for Christmas the best we can. It looks so different for us this year, as it probably looks different for so many different people. So I... We're just trying to get ready for Christmas the best we can and make the best of it. And one of the things that is quite, you know, making it quite harder, tougher for you is the fact that you're not able to access this promised um, recovery benefit. Yeah, unfortunately, we were we were really excited when we heard about the benefit because it it's just extra help around Christmas time and. You know, my my husband and I are fortunate enough to have kept our jobs, but I run my own small business, and there's there's so much that's come out of that this year. So we were really excited uh, to hear about this benefit, but unfortunately, right now, it's so hard for us to access it. We're we're really struggling with that. And what what was the reason? Do you mind you know telling us some of the reasons or one of the reasons why you're not able to access this right now? Yeah, so we submitted our initial application for the benefit, and that seemed to go through fine. Um, but a couple of days later, I got an email requesting a whole bunch of different documents, um, everything from tax documents. Um, but the hardest, the hardest one for us was two bills or bank account statements or credit card statements um, dated for December 18th that have both of our names on them. And 
that that feels like a lot of hoops to jump through for those kinds of documents. And just to be clear, Cassidy, dated for December 18, 2020? Dated for December 18, 2020. So two days after, um, basically two days before we received that email is when those bills need to be dated for. Hmm. So how are Um, you? Go ahead. So unfortunately for us, uh, we won't have access to those bills for at least another couple of weeks. Oh, my goodness. And that must be putting quite a bit of um, strain on your finances as a family. Did anything change? Because going by the website, um, the application website, there are a couple of things that, you know, like the qualifying factors. You must be resident at a BC. If you're married, were you married before twenty uh, before December 18, 2020? What do you think could be responsible for this? I honestly have no idea. Um, we've we've been married for almost four years. We've always filed our taxes together since we got married. Um, so there's there's been no change in our tax status or anything like that. So I was very confused to see all of these requests for documents verifying information that the CRA should already have. And you've you've always filed your taxes together as a family or as a couple. As a couple, yeah. So I have I have at least three tax returns um, that have been filed as a couple. And I could very easily submit our last tax return um, that we have filed as a couple. And that was one of the documents requested. But there's so many other documents on top of that that it's just very confusing to have all those hoops to jump through. Oh, my goodness. So I reached out to the Ministry of Finance, um, hoping to get a spokesperson who could, you know, help, help shed light on this. Unfortunately, no one is available to do this. But one of the things that the person who I spoke with, um, not to name them, said was, is it possible that you have two different last names? We do have two different last names. Okay, so they are saying, well, that's a minority and that, you know, it's not many people who who are having to go through this. But um, hopefully we can get someone to address this from the Ministry of Finance to see how they can, you know, help British Columbians access this. But just before I let you go, Cassidy, um, is there something else you want to say to other people out there, like a call to action? What would your message be or your question be if you were to be speaking with the BC Ministry of Finance right now? I think the biggest question would be for me, I, I at least have ways to reach out and ask for help, but definitely to check in um, on that same Twitter thread. There, were, there was a couple who, with disabilities who were expressing their confusion on how they could access the benefit. When you think of any seniors who might be having the same issue, who maybe don't have the same access to um, technology and to find out those answers. I'm definitely checking in on those vulnerable groups, make sure that they're getting the help they need at Christmas time as well. All right, Cassidy, I hope you get the help that you need at this time as well. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us and wishing you all the best and have a happy holiday. Thank you. Thank you. This authorization is a critical step in ensuring a COVID-19 vaccine is available to all Canadians in all parts of the country. Unlike some of the other vaccines in use around the world, it doesn't need to be transported and stored at extremely cold temperatures. Since many Canadians live outside major urban areas, this vaccine can be used in communities that haven't had access to COVID-19 vaccines to date. That's the major COVID vaccine announcement we had this morning. And, um, you know, that comes as a 
huge relief considering the fact that, you know, many people are still waiting on the Pfizer one. Um, Canada has had like more like drips from the Pfizer one and they have been distributed across provinces. So this is new and we're hoping to get more doses of this one. That was Dr. Sharma um, speaking about that. And um, what's new, right, in the news about COVID is the fact that the new variants discovered in the United Kingdom and this new variant has been linked to South Africa. So, you know, the question is, is there something to be aware of? If there's something to, to be scared of and all that is happening, the new vaccine, we'll be discussing that and more with um, health researcher at Alberta Health Services in this man has been an advocate for debunking misinformation and COVID-19. His name is Dr. Sajad Faisal. Welcome to the show, Dr. Sajad Faisal. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for all you have been doing this year. I must, you know, say that we follow each other on Twitter and I see your constant battle with having to correct misinformation and having to put out the right information there about COVID-19. How has that been for you? It's, you know, like, it feels like another full-time job. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a tough year um, in terms of fighting misinformation. There's always something new coming up, uh, some conspiracy being spread. Before, it was more about uh, the pandemic being a hoax. Uh, and now you see more uh, misinformation about the vaccine. Uh, there's a whole uh, group of anti-vaccine uh, and anti-vax people in society who would like to push the agenda. Um, and so this is something that we have to continuously deal with. The positive side, though, is that there's many researchers, health professionals, and scientists who are online on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and on the news media um, trying to uh, dispel misinformation and spread the accurate message based on the scientific research. So that's a, that's a, that's a good side of it. But the fact, right, it's unprecedented, right, in terms of having more scientists, researchers out there on social media having to fight or debunk a lot of this in misinformation and information floating around. It's not been like this before, right? I know that this is like the p- pandemic, the first real pandemic most people are facing. But in terms of other illnesses and diseases, did we ever experience this amount of this information on social media? Yeah, so that's a very interesting question. I'm glad you raised it. Um, so if you have a look at it, I, we were looking, so my team and I were looking at cancer misinformation uh, prior to pivoting to COVID-19. Um, and so we were studying and looking at addressing that. There's a lot of misinformation about cancer as well, what causes cancer. Um, there are some myths that certain items cause cancer when there's no evidence to that. And uh, so, so there's a lot of factors to be looked at. And misinformation existed uh, prior to COVID-19. So, for example, when 5G was being announced, there was a lot of misinformation about it. Uh, this was prior to COVID-19. However, what COVID-19 has done is because it's a global phenomena, you see all these people who are spreading misinformation and coming up with conspiracy theories sort of band together and, and, and use social media uh, to, to spread misinformation. Uh, on, the, on the flip side, uh, health professionals have realized that uh, if they don't act uh, quickly, um, things will get worse and uh, people will use uh, uh, wrong information, inaccurate information and not follow public health recommendations or uh, take actions that would actually endanger their lives, uh, such as uh, 
uh, you know, drinking Clorox or things like that that we have seen happening in the beginning of this pandemic. And so I think, uh, uh, in a way, it has raised awareness within the health and medical community that, you know what, instead of just uh, talking to your patients uh, or uh, writing scientific papers, it's important to be in touch with the public um, and offer good advice. So do you think, in your opinion, as a scientist, someone who's in the field, who is also being, I want to call the social media, the battlefront of misinformation, trying to correct all of this misinformation, is there going to be, is this shift for scientists and experts to correct misinformation and be more active in social media going to be a permanent one of the moment, you know, we're able to see the pandemic in a review mirror, that's going to be the end of it? No, I don't think so. I think uh, this has this is going to be a, a good, a positive change going forward. And I think a lot of scientists, researchers, and health professionals have realized um, that uh, it is better to meet people where they are at. And one of those avenues is social media because you reach a large amount of people and you can have those discussions, you can answer questions. And I think this is a shift uh, within the medical and uh, scientific community. Okay, so in case you've just tuned in, I have Dr. Sajad Faisal on, health researcher at Alberta Health Services and an advocate for debunking misinformation on COVID-19 on with us. And we just spoke about, you know, the battle he's been, the, the battle on social media about misinformation. So let's go to the big announcement today, which is the Moderna vaccine approved by Health Canada. Yes, Absolutely. This is uh, good news and something that uh, we are all very cheerful about. Uh, now we have two vaccines. It's just an additional, um, uh, you know, an additional weapon we have uh, in this battle against the virus. And uh, it's good because one of the challenges of the Pfizer vaccine was the storage. It needed those ultra-cold storage of below minus 70 degrees Celsius. And now with the Moderna vaccine, it can be stored at minus 20 degrees Celsius. And this is something that the uh, government will roll out more in the northern communities and in rural areas where those ultra-cold uh, storage uh, refrigerators um, and facilities are not available. So, Dr. Faisal, have you gotten your own, your own shot yet? No, not yet, because, uh, because I work in... Uh, research um, and specifically I do not interact with patients uh, in my line of work um, so I'm not among the uh, frontline workers uh, that are going to get it uh, that's more of my colleagues who are meeting patients or uh, frontline physicians the pharmacists nurses and long-term care workers but I am excited I can't wait for when my turn comes Oh, yes, at Christmas time, the most amazing time of the year. Ask me about it. I still have Dr. Faisal on the line. Thanks so much for sticking around, Dr. Faisal. Thanks a lot. And spending your Christmas Eve's Eve with us. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay, so let's go to this new variant of COVID-19 discovered in the UK. And the latest about it is the fact that it's now linked to South Africa. Am I correct? Yes, um, so they believe the strain, uh, so this variant of COVID-19 may have come from there. I mean, we we still need to get more data on that. Um, There have been new variants in the Netherlands, in Sweden, so we have to um, get more data. But yes, it has has been around, apparently. So yesterday we had Dr. Tam say that 
it's not been discovered here yet in Canada. So, you know, we could still kind of sleep a little bit with one eye closed and the other open. But the question is, with this new variant and the vaccines we have out there, you know, are you able to speak to the fact that we shouldn't worry about something or is there something to be aware of? I think, uh, so currently, uh, various researchers and scientists here in Canada are on the lookout uh, for this new variant so that we can detect it um, and see if whether it is uh, present in the population here. Thankfully, until now, it's uh, it's not been detected. Um, but some of the things that scientists and researchers uh, are looking at is uh, whether this uh, uh, strain, uh, this variant of the COVID-19 uh, strain is more... Uh, transmissible. So this is something they were looking at, whether, you, whether your chances of being infected with this strain is higher. And that's what, they are, they, that's, what they're trying, that's what they're trying to find out right now. In the UK, it seems so. Um, it seems that it is more infectious compared to the strain that's, uh, that's where we, that we've seen normally, the, the normal. So this variant seems to be more transmissible. Now, we're still we're still getting more data on it because this is quite uh, quite uh, some new information we're getting. Um, it's quite normal for viruses to mutate. Uh, this is something that we've been knowing for a long time, but it, it's 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 interesting to see how much effect you'd have. Now, the other thing is about the vaccine. If you get vaccinated, would it protect you from this variant? So my answer would be yes, it would. Um, whether the efficacy would change, I highly doubt it. But as more data comes, uh, we will be able to give uh, to get a clearer picture of what is going on. Okay, so I will take you up on when you know talking about it being more transmissible, right? But my question is, are we going to see? Is it like a different symptoms, or you know, people are wondering when you say it's more easily transmittable, and do you want to break that down more for us so that you know we really get what it is about? Yeah. So, for example. Um, it's all about uh, viral dose, uh, a viral load, and uh, how much time you're in contact with somebody and how quickly uh, you get infected. So, for example, you are with, uh, you're standing next to somebody which you shouldn't be, but if you're standing next to somebody who has COVID-19 and maybe they cough and you're in a, in a particular a small room um, and you're in that room for 10 minutes, what are the chances of you being infected? And then you look at this variant and you run the same experiment in your mind. And what are the chances of you getting infected? So the chances of you getting, getting COVID-19 um, from this variant seems to be higher, which means um, if 20 people interacted with a person who has COVID-19 in a particular space um, and, and, uh, and uh, maybe five end up getting COVID, and then you compare the same with this new variant, maybe seven or eight would end up getting the disease. You see what I'm saying? So it's, it's, like, a, it's like a comparison of, of, of uh, what are the chances that you actually uh, get infected uh, when being close to somebody uh, who has COVID, uh, who, who has the virus. And so with this variant, it seems more people uh, would end up getting the disease compared to other variants we have been seeing here in Canada and in the U.S. And so this is something that they're trying to find out. Uh, is it more transmissible? 
Okay, Doctor, thanks so much for that, for breaking that down for us. So, you know, we have just a couple of minutes left in the segment with you, um, and I want to make the best use of it. And I will just say, with the COVID-19 vaccine, Moderna and Pfizer, and people out there, you know, it, you're able to choose which you you get out of the two, or it's just what you, whatever your community or provincial health authority gives to you? Yeah, you cannot choose um, it's what uh, your provincial uh, government uh, um, and the, based on the area you're in and the region you're in, what you get. The good thing is that the effectiveness and the efficacy of these two vaccines uh, to prevent symptomatic COVID-19 disease is almost 94.5% for both of them. So it's pretty similar. Um, and the side effects that come from it, which is maybe pain at the injection site, uh, slight fever, chills, uh, muscle pain, joint pain. So these um, symptoms also, um, they are pretty comparable, the, the, the occurrence of it. So, of course, not everyone's going to get a side effect. Just like not everyone who eats Advil gets heartburn. Um, but uh, the, it's pretty comparable. You cannot say that one is who has more side effects than the other. And that's why I would say that it's, it's okay that uh, the government, the provincial governments and territories are rolling it out based on the logistics. Because, of course, the Pfizer vaccine has to be stored in minus 70, um, and the Moderna can be stored at minus 20 Celsius. So based on the logistically where they can get it, uh, that's how they are distributing the vaccine. I think that's the correct decision. Okay. At this point, I must say a very big thank you to you, Dr. Faisal, for giving us your time this beautiful afternoon. Thanks so much for all the work you're doing in debunking misinformation about COVID-19, the vaccines online, and hopefully we'll look, be- look forward to a better 2021, you know, with more information out there for people, people in the science world, also trying to make sure that we stay informed. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Stay safe. Yeah. All right, it's Jimmy in for Jill Bennett this beautiful afternoon for the amazing Jill Bennett, right? Um, yeah, she's um, on the morning show filling in for Simi. And I'm right here filling in for her, sitting in her seat. And, you know, it's Christmas period. It's a time where we think about our loved ones. We want to buy them gifts, how we want to do it. And that has kind of changed this year. You know, there's been this shift to a lot of online things and that takes us right into our next topic, right? How businesses, small businesses in Canada have had to kind of pivot into a new way of doing things, right? It's not like the old way isn't acceptable anymore, but it's just that you need to step up your game. You need to change with time. And of course, you know, that saying that change is one of the most difficult things to keep up with, right? It's hard to accept change. But for you to survive in this business world, change is something that is inevitable. And for this particular segment, we will be speaking with one amazing Canadian entrepreneur. I, I so, so much love, love her on TV when I watch her. And she's a venture capitalist. Um, she's a co-owner of Mainhead's breweries and distillery, manufacturers of beer brands. And she's also a dragon. Okay, now I think I let the cat out of the bag right there. And, you know, her full name is Manjit Minhas. And Manjit's business is one of those that had to quickly respond to the change in time during the pandemic, where they moved from being a brewery that's manufacturing beer brands to quickly helping to produce more sanitizers. If you remember that at the beginning of the first wave of this pandemic, 
sanitizer was like gold, right? People would bite off um, the wipes you couldn't get. Oh, don't even mention bathroom tissue. That was one thing that you couldn't get anywhere. So, but Manjit's business really moved with time and, you know, evolved into that point of helping step into the gap to produce more sanitizers for Canadians. And like many other businesses that had to change their line, some went into producing ventilators, some went into producing this flexiglass to help for the movie industry and wherever. And, you know, even lots of brick and mortar stores have had to really focus more to on, on online shopping. So um, welcome, Manjit, to the show. Hi, Manjit. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for obliging us and spending a part of your Christmas Eve's Eve with us on the Jill Bennett Show today. Thanks. Yeah, you know, it um, it has definitely, think, I think, been um, an interesting month um, and 10 months for every entrepreneur in this country and around the world and, and every business. And we were really happy that we could pivot and help. Yeah, it's amazing how fast you were able to do this. You know, it's not, you were, tell me more about this, right? You, your brewery had to step up. What was the process? Was it like a very, was it, you know, quite windy or was it straightforward to moving to that point where you had to produce sanitizers? Yeah, we're, uh, you know, as an organization, um, so we have seven breweries and distilleries around the world and uh, mainly in North America and Canada and the United States. And, and you know, we are pretty good and I've built a business over the last 20 years with my brother at being reactive um, and, pro- and, and in a lot of cases proactive to make sure that we can handle the trends. Um, and in some cases, the fads that come in in the liquor industry, so we can jump on them quickly for, you know, sometimes a summer or two even, um, and then kind of go back to the really creation of products and, and our bread and butter. Um, but we are very always quick, and, and we're really good at change management, and I think that this really proved that. Uh, we weren't initially thinking uh, that we would make hand sanitizers, but, you know, uh, we also thought that the pandemic would last that long, just as some others did. And we saw some of our fellow distilleries doing it, and we thought, that's great. Um, but about a week into the pandemic, we got a call from a regional health authority, um, and they said, we need help, and we need hand sanitizer, and we need a lot of it. And can you please help. And there's many other health authorities and other emergency services that need it across this country. And you've always stepped up to the plate in the past, um, you know, on the alcohol side of things when it's needed. So can we count on you today? And I said, listen, let me get back to you. That's quite an undertaking, but let me get back to you. And I quickly assembled all our executives and asked the question because, you know, I can make a decision um, as the owner and, and the CEO, but I need a full team to help us execute it. And all of them said, yes, definitely, we'll work around the clock to not only understand it, but to get it done. And I'm so happy to say, you know, in eight days, we not only paused all of our distilleries to stop making vodka and put that, um, including two other ingredients with the alcohol, uh, we got Health Canada approval, we got new bottles, we got new labels, uh, we, ca- we tapped on all of our supply chain 
some partners, um, existing and new ones, um, to help us out. And, and we were really not only happy to be able to help our community and emergency services, um, but also essential services from truckers to, you know, um, we supplied sanitizer to all Amazon 11 distribution centers in the country, um, from doctor's offices to, you know, the list went on and on, um, uh, you know, shelters. And, and it was really nice not only that our team came together, but um, that all of our supply partners came together and that we were able to take on this undertaking. We thought we would do it for maybe three to four weeks. We'd maybe make a million bottles, but we did that just in our yeah, first week. Um, and so we made, I think, at the end, I lost count, but I think about 12 million bottles of hand sanitizer. And, um, yeah, it, it was um, quite an undertaking. Definitely not easy uh, looking back, but nothing is um, that is worth, you know, helping out your community. And are you still producing sanitizers right now? Or are you done with that? Uh, no, not at the moment. We are not. And how did the distribution process for that go, right? Because I mentioned distributing to Amazon, the hospitals. How were you able to pull that logistics? Yeah, you know, we own um, trucking uh, across the country, but also we have lots of um, trucking partners. And so, you know, everybody was counting on each other to get it to where it needed to go. Even, you know, far north in Canada, we were sending it with um, cargo jet and Air Canada and WestJet up to, you know, indigenous um, areas and, and um, really up the RCMP, for example, that are super far north in, in Canada. Um, so, you know, we tapped on a lot of um, transportation partners also and did lots of it ourselves in the main cities where we already have warehousing and distribution across this country. So um, it, it was definitely a joint group effort to get it all out to where it needed to go as quick as possible um, and as safe as possible too, you know, because we were doing an 80% alcohol sanitizer. So um, it is definitely different than trucking, you know, Mountain Crest or Boxer beer for us um, than it is than it is an 80% alcohol um, sanitizer. So definitely lots of precautions also would need to be taken. Well, Jimmy's still right here sitting in for Jill Bennett this beautiful afternoon on the 23rd day of December 2020. And on the line is Manjit Mainhaz. Um, she is a Canadian entrepreneur. She's a venture capitalist, co-owner of Mainhaz Breweries and Distillery, manufacturer of beer brand, a dragon. That part of it, I like the sound of that, dragon. All right, Manjit, <laughs> thanks for sticking around. <laughs> No problem. Yeah, so we were talking about, before we went on a break, we were talking about this new way of doing things for entrepreneurs, small mm-hmm. businesses in Canada. And, you know, there's a shift right now, which, and, you know, do you want to talk about what makes the difference between the businesses that are able to make that shift quickly and those that are struggling to do it? Right. I truly believe that all businesses have to really arm themselves to become future-proof. And uh, that's actually why I started a new podcast four weeks ago called the Manjeet Minhas Podcast. And I interview CEOs and entrepreneurs um, of, you know, a lot of the biggest companies in this country talking about how we move forward and how small and medium businesses and even large businesses, how we can um, not only pandemic proof, because I think this is um, what the future is going to hold, that there always will be um, circumstances that we can control that will change the way that we do business. 
And so I really do think it's important that we don't, the no entrepreneur depends on one part of their business for their complete success. It's important to diversify your portfolio. Also think it's very important to start identifying and managing risks, um, things that you can't control sometimes, you know, um, and they can do lots of things such as people, uh, systems, business processes, data security, lots of things that are not just a pandemic, but a lot other risks that can affect the viability and possibility, but also just whether or not your business survives, uh, never mind thrives. Um, I also think it's really important that we watch for influencing factors surrounding our businesses. Um, because if you really want to future-proof your business, you do need to keep an eye on your surroundings. It's important um, to understand what's going on in your industries, but also in the, in, in the bigger business space, uh, not only in you know um, your community, but in your province, in your country, in your sector, uh, you know, the days of us just being and competing with those physically around us is, is gone. And as you say, because a lot of um, uh, people have converted to being digitally uh, available in, in selling their products. So I think that the world is definitely changing, which is fantastic because um, it does have a lot of opportunities in it. It's just about how you see them and how you create an environment within your organization and also within your own um, mind uh, for innovation because it is more important than ever that we're innovative with what you not only are offering there but what do our customers really want to need at a certain point in time and that we're able to deliver whether it be with current supply chain because um, I think many people discovered it's really not smart to have all of your supply chain and your product um, being made in one particular country um, or one with one particular supplier or manufacturer because, you know, um, sometimes they can get closed and all of a sudden you're at their mercy. And so I think it's been a really eye-opening time um, and for small businesses to, and, and any business, for, for that matter, to really look at themselves and say, where can I win? How can I win for the long term? And what do I need to do to set myself up for success? So I was just going to ask you before you touch, and I think you're already, you're leading me that area, which is this development, this new changes that we're seeing, is it more prominent in one industry than the other? Or is one industry more prone to those distinct changes that we're seeing than other industries? Yeah, you know, I think anything that has a retail component, um, of course, has been really disrupted um, right now. But um, I would say it has affected all industries. And I'm an investor, and in you know, thanks to the last six fabulous years as a dragon on on Dragon's Den, I'm invested in 31 companies, and I have seen it all from you know consumer packaged goods to tech to services in every industry, whether it be baby products, fashion, uh, you know, fire extinguishers, dog products. It doesn't really matter their food, everything has um, been disrupted and is being re-innovated. And so I think that um, it, it would be naive to think that anybody is uh, living on an island on their own. Oh, you're quite right, right? I think one of the things that 2020 and the pandemic has made us to realize is a fact that we are all connected, 
you know, globally, right. this, you know, back, mm-hmm. back in the day, you, people could have thought, oh, it's just a virus that, is, um, that started in a warm right. part of the world. But here we are, the entire world, the global economy having to readjust to this. So if, you know, you're a dragon and you hear different pitches every time, as someone who, imagine this, a young person who is out there who has been dreaming of, you know, getting up on their own feet and doing their own thing, becoming an entrepreneur, would Manjit say this is a good time to try it to kind of, you know, test the waters? Or would yes. you say it's yes. <laughs> definitely yes? And for oh, something happened right there. I think we lost that call. Well, we were speaking with Manjit Minhas, and um, you know, technical things. These things do happen. It's way beyond us, but we're hoping we can get through to her again. But if not, I think the message has been passed across is the fact that, yes, if you're an entrepreneur who has been developing a cold feet about getting into the industry at this time or starting that thing you've been dreaming about, right? There's a business you've had in your mind for so long, writing it down. But you're not sure if 2021 will be a good time to. Well, you heard it from the dragon, not from me, saying that, well, it's a good time to try something new and don't, don't be afraid to do it. You know, just trust your instincts, I'm guessing. And it's a time to think outside of the box and see what can you do? What are you bringing to your industry? What's a new thing? Okay, we got Manjit back. Hello, Manjit. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yes. Um, I was, as I was saying, yes, I truly believe this is the best time um, for anybody to become an entrepreneur. If you've think, been thinking about a business idea um, and researching, this is the time to take a leap of faith uh, and, and get started because, you know what, you won't know until you start. But all I would say is that just be prepared to iterate and um, it won't go according to plan, but it never does. And that's okay. Okay. Well, I think we will just leave it right there. I wish we could, you know, go more, ask more questions. But I want to say thank you so much for being a part of this beautiful um, Wednesday afternoon right here on AM980. My name is Jimmy. I'm in for Jill Bennett this beautiful afternoon. Manjit, I'm wishing you and yours a happy holiday season. Same to you. Thanks.